Hello, and welcome to BioBite, the VMRU podcast that offers you a little taste of knowledge. Each episode, we will be interviewing people in various roles in the company to give you some additional knowledge in areas you might be interested in. It doesn't matter where you're listening, whether you're in your home office, in your car, this is going to be a short and fun way to increase your knowledge. My name is Matthew Cravat, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, we're going to be talking to a cast of characters. And by cast, of course, I mean the clinical antimicrobial stewardship team, who will be discussing how they each got into antimicrobial stewardship, why it is personal to them, and what you need to know going into Antimicrobial Awareness Week. And now walking into my studio is Dr. Tiffany Bias, Dr. Lauren Hunt, and Dr. John Hurst. Since I don't know you very well, I would love to have a speed dating round. If you could each take a turn telling me your life story, every little detail, focusing, I guess, on how you got into antimicrobial stewardship and found your way to be or you. Thank you. So hello, everyone. Uh, this is Tiffany Bias. I'm currently the director of antimicrobial stewardship for the East Coast. I am a New Yorker at heart, uh, specifically from the Bronx, but I currently reside in South Jersey. I received my bachelor's of science in biochemistry from Smith College and my doctor of pharmacy degree from Massachusetts College of Pharmacy, the Worcester campus. Then I traveled back to New York City where I did my postgraduate year one and two. I specialized in infectious disease. My uh, first clinical practice site was in Philadelphia at Hahnemann University, which was affiliated with Drexel University. There I was the infectious disease a clinical pharmacist managing their antimicrobial stewardship program. After that, I went to the pharmaceutical side where I was a medical science liaison for a company named Nabriva. We brought two new anti-infectives to market. And then John really invigorated me from a diagnostic standpoint and I transitioned to BMRU. Oh my God, Tiffany, I feel like we're long lost siblings. I'm from New York City. I used to be in pharma. We were going to be best friends. Okay, Dr. Hurst, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I uh, am Senior Director of Antimicrobial Stewardship for BMRU, and I graduated the University of Oklahoma, Doctor of Pharmacy. After that, I headed east to UAB in Birmingham, Alabama for my PGY-1, uh, where I fell in love with infectious diseases and went ahead and did a PGY-2 over in the holy city of Charleston, South Carolina. Managed to run my preceptor off during that, so I got to take her spot and uh, run the program for the next three years where I was able to grow the program and really spend a ton of time in lab and fall in love with microbiology. After a couple of years, we had uh, our first child, so we decided to uh, move back to Oklahoma where I was able to start a program from scratch in Oklahoma City at St. Anthony Hospital. Again, uh, used the diagnostics to my advantage and um, was able to get a department of antimicrobial stewardship and really start working at a quality level on patient outcomes and you know, a system-wide level kind of uh, focus. And then after a couple of years there, uh, after I'd built my program, I decided um, it was time to join the diagnostics world. And so Ben gave me a call and here I am. That's amazing, John. My wife and I celebrated our first anniversary by renewing our vows in Charleston, South Carolina. It's almost like we're twins. We'll, we'll catch up later. Finally, Dr. Hunt, would you mind sharing some of your backstory with us? I'm the director of antimicrobial stewardship for the western part of the U.S., so I am Tiffany's counterpart. And I reside in Denver, Colorado. Uh, born and raised in Ohio and went to the Ohio State University for my education and training. That includes a bachelor's in human nutrition, my doctorate of pharmacy, and two years of residency. 
to specialize in infectious diseases. Being at Ohio State, we certainly did quite a few trials for some of the new rapid diagnostics that came out. So my passion for diagnostics in infectious disease started pretty early in my career. I then transitioned down to Florida Hospital Orlando, now known as Advent Health, where I was the ID pharmacist and ran the stewardship program there. I was an N of one for about 1,300 beds, which is usually the job of about three or four pharmacists. And what I realized in that time is that I really love more project and data-based work, which is when I transitioned over to the clinical decision support space. I worked for a company called Alum as their VP of clinical intelligence. And it was a startup. We did a lot, learned a lot. We used artificial intelligence as well to do some predictive analytics. But when I kind of hit a plateau there, I had met John at ID Week at a conference, and he really persuaded me to also join this team. And I'm so excited that I did because I get to bring together quite a few of my passions in data and diagnostics. Thank God, Lauren. We have absolutely nothing in common. That's great. We're going to be such good friends because we have so much to share with each other as we bond. This is wonderful. Lauren. Let me start with you. Can you talk a little bit about the issues around antibiotics and resistance as we go into antimicrobial awareness week? Absolutely. Um, so antibiotics are something that we really need in our society. They keep us safe um, and we can fight off a lot of infections that would have otherwise probably taken a lot of lives. So when it comes to antibiotic use, the core of stewardship is using the right antibiotic for the right patient at the right time for the right dose, the right duration, and even the right route. So whether that's by mouth or intravenous or some other route. When you find that balance and you're being a good steward of that resource, it allows you to limit the adverse effects that you see. One of the greatest adverse effects of antibiotic overuse we see is the resistance to those. So we see with the, the bacteria, these viruses, fungi, they continue to get smarter. They see these drugs and they become resistant to them. They develop all types of mechanisms to overcome being treated by those, those antimicrobials. We also see adverse effects like Clostridium difficile. So it's definite antimicrobials are the number one cause of that. On the flip side of that, if we're not using enough antimicrobials, we aren't probably treating our patients correctly or appropriately. And there are certainly some ramifications to that as well. So really it is being a good steward, like you would be a good steward of anything. So whether it was your um, snack closet during quarantine, so having the right amount of snacks, not too many, not too few, to keep you going, we want to do the same with our antimicrobial use as well. I'm going to try to not take the too many snacks comment personally. Maybe we'll move along to Tiffany. Tiffany, to take it off of me, can you tell us a personal story about how you got engaged with antimicrobial stewardship? Definitely. I would say my first encounter with um, multiple exposures to the healthcare system and really the effects of antimicrobial resistance was during my high school uh, years. I participated in multiple sports, track, cheerleading, stepping and basketball, although basketball I was not very good at. And I developed a chronic skin condition that really develops when you have inflammation and infection of your sweat glands. And I was treated with initially with a first generation cephalosporin and subsequently developed a resistant infection. So I had methicillin resistant staph aureus. So this led to several requirements for incision and drainage and prolonged uh, length of therapy over several months. From a stewardship standpoint, this really kind of highlights 
the need for clinicians to truly understand resistance trends that are happening both locally and nationally, and to use guides like antibiograms and clinical pathways to predict their appropriate therapy. And this goes back to Lauren. It's, it's that balance between giving enough and not too much. From the stewardship standpoint, it's not always just selecting the most narrow spectrum agent. It's really taking in all those patient factors. Sometimes that means deviating from the norm, right, and coming up with a customized plan. Taking it a little bit further, I think the implications of antimicrobial resistance really stem beyond just increases in length of therapy or length of stays and even increases in morbidity and mortality. There's a social or psychological component to it. You know, there was days of from school that I lost, time with friends, and there was also a stigma associated with my infection. And it really had implications from, I guess, an infection control standpoint for the entire team. This story really highlights my passion for infectious disease and uh, one of the reasons that I decided to pursue a career. This is a little embarrassing. I kind of wandered off. I was checking Instagram and I saw this amazing video of John's son scoring his first touchdown in flag football. John, do you have any stories about your son that tie into stewardship that we could listen to? Absolutely. So after we moved to uh, Oklahoma City to start the stewardship program, a couple of years in, my little boy had a little bit of infantigo in his hair, and uh, we took him to the pediatrician, and they recommended a fairly, um, you know, low spectrum, uh, narrow spectrum antimicrobial like Keflex. And about a week after he finished that course, he started to go from being potty trained to um, having about ten stools a day, and uh, they had some details to them that I won't share here, but made me immediately consider. Clostridium difficile infectious diarrhea as the possibility of what he could have. You know, it's a scary diagnosis. It's something that's highly contagious. It's something that is uh, has significant morbidity and mortality. So knowing that my hospital had biofire um, and knowing that uh, pediatric patients often are colonized with Clostridium difficile and that he could test positive for that t- particular pathogen. I wanted to make sure that he got a test where we knew that that was the definite cause and it wasn't something else. And so we were able to test him with the biofire test and find that the only positive was Clostridium difficile and everything else on the panel was negative. So we had good confidence in the diagnosis. Um, we were able to get him treated with the appropriate antibiotics. He resolved just, you know, within a couple of days, he was better. So it was, it was a great outcome. Thank you for sharing such a personal story, John. If I could dig a little deeper and not be rude, C. diff is not exactly a one-and-done disease. So what does that mean for you and your son moving forward? Yeah, so um, he's, you know, like you said, he's had C. diff, so now he's um, automatically at risk for it. So anytime he has antibiotics in the future, he's more likely than the average person to have a recurrence of Clostridium difficile. It was actually just a few months later, probably you know, six months and the pediatricians uh, whipping out the prescription pad to uh, write some antibiotics for an ear infection. And I was like, hold on a second here. We should think about this. And, you know, we have tests available that could give us this diagnosis uh, potentially. He had, you know, those respiratory symptoms that go along with that. We went ahead and ran a biofire uh, RP panel and found out he had a uh, rhino enterovirus, and we were able to, again, avoid antibiotics um, 
And, you know, they could have potentially set off another episode of C. difficile and to what outcome, we don't know, but we were uh, thankful to be able to avoid those antibiotics. So that's an amazing story about a child who almost got the wrong medication, but because you did the right testing, didn't. Lauren, I'm wondering, when I go to the doctor next, how do I make sure that I'm getting the right medicine? Could you share with me tips, tricks, advice? Absolutely. I think it could start with you as the patient or an advocate for a family member, whether it's a child, a parent, a sister. Um, I know that my family is always coming to me and asking questions. You know, I'm going to the doctor. What, what should I be asking? And it, that's what it is. It's about asking questions to be able to make sure, you know, when they hand you a, an antibiotic, you say, why am I receiving this specific antibiotic? Is there any diagnostic test that's available that we could get a definitive result? We know that antibiotics aren't benign and we have to start practicing in a way that we understand that. Putting the, the pressure on physicians and other hospitals to improve their diagnostic portfolio. And what I mean by that is infectious disease, we've been practicing in the lab for pretty much the same as since Louis Pasteur was in there. We've been putting things on plates, waiting for them to grow. And we finally had companies like BioFire and BioMaryU that pushed the envelope on that, that said, let's leverage technology in order to get results faster, to get more specific results, to understand the resistance mechanisms that are within these different bacteria or virus or fungal infections. It's really starting to push that envelope. We as a company and as every this team, educating our clinicians, our clinicians are certainly gonna help push for that too. Most of our doctors and our, our nurses and our pharmacists, they wanna provide the best care that they can. Sometimes they just don't know what that is or where that is. So I'm really hoping that we can continue to push the envelope with technology and the data associated with that in infectious disease, as we have with other areas such as cancer or even imaging within our healthcare systems. Thank you, Lauren. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just thinking John felt like the ghost of antibiotics past telling this story from a few years ago, and you're like the ghost of antibiotics present, what we can do in the doctor's office right now. So Tiffany, I have to ask you to play the role of the ghost of antibiotics future and give us a glimpse into the future. So in the future, I think there's going to be multiple coordinated efforts, both nationally and um, internationally to really tackle this problem from a governmental standpoint. I think there's also going to be initiatives to re really reinvigorate research efforts so that we can manage the crisis. So from a governmental standpoint, there's really two particular bills that I think are going to be pivotal for tackling resistance, and that's going to be the Pasteur Act. And this is an act that really was established to create an antimicrobial subscription model to encourage new antimicrobials. Um, and this would really guarantee that one once new antimicrobials come to market, that there's a reimbursement strategy so uh, practitioners can utilize this and are not discouraged to use them because they may cost more money. And then the other act is going to be the DISCERN Act, which really addresses issues as it relates to Medicare. And I think these are both important because when we look at the current pipeline for antimicrobials, although it looks promising, so we did reach our the 10 by 20 IDSA initiative for antimicrobials. When we look at pathogens like Pseudomonas and Acinetobacter, there still is a, a need because these pathogens are getting smarter and smarter and creating new resistance mechanisms. Another thing that 
from a technology standpoint, that's, I think, in the future or it's here is artificial intelligence. And I think this can be applied not only to our antimicrobial susceptibility testing models or our genome sequences, but it also can be applied to clinical decision-making software so that we can really use predictive analytics to better not only diagnose our patients, but select better empiric therapy. From a non-antibiotic therapy standpoint in the future, there's going to be immunotherapy, so monoclonal antibodies. There's going to be vaccines for gram-negative infections, also bacteriophages that are being implemented that can really trigger our innate and adaptive immunity. And then taking it back to a diagnostics, again, we really need to leverage diagnostics because this is a critical method. Um, it's the center of ID. We need to identify the pathogen and the resistance marker so we can employ good therapy. And so from a diagnostic standpoint, I think there's going to be in the future improvements in biomarkers, having panels that have a variation of host proteins. There's going to be point of care devices that are novel that use different specimens. So really unique specimens like breath and sweat. There will be smartphone based readers. So it's really exciting. And I, although I believe that antimicrobial resistance it will be here for a long time and will continue to evolve just because of bacteria outnumber us, I think that we can win the war. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Before we leave, as a good marketer, I need to always end with a call to action. So if we can have one last speed round, starting with you all should, and then your call to action. You all should take advantage of the focus on infectious diseases and diagnostics during the pandemic and support current legislation. You all should be cognizant of the different foods that you purchase, including different meats, always looking for antibiotic-free options when possible. You all should get vaccinated to prevent avoidable diseases and encourage herd immunity. Thank you so much for those calls to action. You have honestly, truly been the best cast I have ever interviewed on this show. Okay, you're the only cast, and this is the only time I've interviewed anyone on the show. But still, you were a great guest. Thank you so much.